gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. Welcome back to Gone Mobile. In this episode, we're joined by Chris Williams, a principal software engineer over at Mix Radio. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, and and we have obviously some stuff specifically that we wanted to talk to you about today, but I figured just to kind of break the ice here a little bit, um, could you talk about and tell our listeners a little bit about what Mix Radio does and what you do there? Sure, yeah. Mix Radio is a music streaming service currently available in 30 countries. And we're in all the usual app stores on Windows Phone, iOS, and Android. Uh, historically, we are what was Nokia Music. So uh, as Nokia went through the transition of going going into Microsoft, uh, and then we came out of it as a separate entity, we've, we've gone through from being Nokia Music to Microsoft Music, Microsoft Mixed Radio, and now Mixed Radio is a separate entity. So that means our history is uh, is deeply uh, associated with Windows Phone, and <laughs> and we were uh, we were uh, launched with the Nokia Lumia devices. So we were a preload app um, in those days, and uh, coming away from the Nokia family has given us the opportunity to move on to Android and iOS now and and uh, to get into Xamarin. So you mentioned Xamarin, obviously, um, and you, you, like anyone who follows your blog, like knows that you're, you're writing about that quite a bit. Um, could you talk a little bit about like what, aside from Xamarin itself, like what's the tech stack that you guys are using behind Mix Radio? So, uh, yeah, so particularly in the, um, on the client side, obviously, like you say, Xamarin, um, and, and all the usual technologies that go with those apps. Uh, but we have a closure back end. We have uh, a web team that uh, uh, heavily involved in JavaScript. And, uh, and and we're quite a, I like to think a dynamic company. We're always looking at looking at technology and, and certainly the back end guys, they're, they're always looking at, at new things and, um, it's is a great place to be, and it's possibly a good opportunity for me to drop in that we're in, that we're recruiting actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, if there's anybody out there who, um, who who thinks they might be interested, then uh, dev.mixrad.io is our developer website. So, take a look at what we got going on there. Cool. And where are you all based? We're based in Bristol in the UK. Um, we've got maybe sort of 25 backend engineers, about 18. Uh, client developers and maybe about sort of 15 web um and we got a great atmosphere down there everyone is uh seems to have some kind of association with music in their spare time so uh everyone's passionate about what we do and, and there's a great great vibe in the company so uh it's a great place to work awesome well i uh sorry while i mentioned that i just drop in that we had a company hack week recently and uh and that especially was a a real uh, fun week. We we tend to get together and have uh, and we eat together every day, and everyone just just does what they want for a week. Um, uh, and then we get together and demo on a Friday afternoon. And there'll be a lot of lot of stuff on the, the developer blog about um, some of the things that came out of that soon. And that, that's a that's a real real great environment to work in. I have to say. 
do you hack on stuff like related to mix radio or is it just kind of any personal project you, you're interested in? So uh, there is, there's basically one rule, which is, uh, don't take advantage of the company. <laughs> so <laughs> you can, you can do whatever you want. Um, and people do, and we had, uh, one guy who basically created the company logo out of LEDs, just did a little electronics project. Um, but a lot of it is sort of product related people getting the opportunity to, to put their particular, uh, stamp on the product and try and try and get that in front of real users, which, which we are trying to do. And you're in a lot of countries too, right? I mean, one of the things as a Canadian, I, I find that there's not always a lot of choices for music services up here and mixed radio does seem to work. <laughs> oh, just move to America. <laughs> <laughs> does seem to work that's great that's that's a great review we should uh uh, yeah great um yeah we're in uh we're in 30 countries and um and typically we have um very loyal followings in the places where nokia was 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 big so um india um are big fans of mixed radio for example cool so so as I alluded to before, I, you had a, a really interesting blog post recently the, around architecting cross-platform apps that that we should really dig into because um, I think the it was a, a different way of thinking that I found very interesting. And I mean, architecture discussions can can often get pretty complicated and hard to follow real quickly. So I mean, maybe just to just start off at the beginning here, I mean, can you walk through a, a really basic introduction of kind of what you were talking about in that post? Sure. Yeah, I, I I like the way you introduced it by saying things can get pretty complicated quite quickly <laughs> because I I was very careful to leave quite a lot out, out of that post um, to keep it simple. So the, the main uh, premise really was that uh, layered applications or a layered architecture is is so often the default thinking for people that um, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's you know. There are some great, great applications being built that way, and that can be an architecture that that works. It was just that, in some cases, people are so tied to that way of thinking that perhaps they don't necessarily notice when they've maybe built something else. And in particular, in the Xamarin community, I thought that we are a pretty good example of that when it comes to the kind of applications that we found ourselves building quite often. So, so kind of digging into that a little bit, um, like what about the way that you, you've kind of observed folks building Xamarin applications, just to use that as a, a canonical example here. And, and obviously that's sort of what we're focused on on this podcast, but like, what have you noticed in that area that people might be touting as kind of a, a standard end tier type architecture that doesn't really fit in your mind? So I guess that, um, you take a database, for example, and um, that is typically one of the things that as someone builds an application, they tend to think, okay, I'm going to build a database. I need a database layer. I need to put a facade over the top of this in some way to um, to allow myself to, to switch this out to something else in the future if, if needs be or to um, allow myself to unit tests without being tied to that particular detail Mm -hmm. and 
although that that's sort of quite a, an obvious way of thinking for many people, if you then look at um, the way that's implemented in a, in a typical Xamarin project, there's not necessarily the sense of a, of a database layer, more of the database being injected to serve a particular purpose. And um, this is sort of where we get into this idea of ports and adapters, which is uh, something tied to the hexagonal architecture. Sure. So can you kind of describe, um, well, first of all, like what, what you mean by hexagonal architecture, and then we should dig probably in a, li- a little bit into to what ports and adapters are. Sure, yeah. So first thing to make clear, I guess, is that this, isn't, this is nothing new. Uh, it's, it's something that, uh, like, all, like all good things, originated in the 90s. <laughs> um, and uh, the guy who uh, first proposed this, um, Alistair Coburn, he, he has gone on to say that he doesn't actually like the name hexagonal architecture and prefers ports and adapters. So those two terms have become interchangeable, really, for describing this. But the concept is basically that you have a, the idea of a core application which offers up a bunch of ports, each of which need to be configured for that application to be run. And in the real world, what we're really talking about there in, in, our, in our community is interfaces that you implement to serve a particular purpose. So the idea of that architecture is that you can have multiple adapters available and that a system can be configured to run in different combinations. And again, in the Xamarin world, you can think of that in terms of you might be building an application to run on iOS, in which case you'll need an iOS user interface, perhaps some way of accessing iOS notifications or iOS file system access and when you want to run that same application on a different platform you'd configure it with a different set of <clears throat> different set of adapters excuse me and really what we're getting at here is this core application is is a portable class library in in Xamarin world right so then kind of speaking in c sharp terms there um, within the Xamarin world is would an interface basically be the port and then the platform implementation of that interface be the adapter then? Is, is that sort of that's, how the pieces fit? That's right, yes. So that's how the pieces fit. And the sort of the diagram, if, if you've not seen it before, um, is typically two hexagons, one inside the other. The inner hexagon represents your, your core application and each of the sides of that hexagon represent your ports. And then outside that sit, sit your adapters, so your, your things like your, your database or user interfaces or your notifications, your file systems, your, your platform-specific implementations will sit outside that core hexagon. When you're describing then your interfaces that act as a port, how does that translate into like an application-specific a feature that let's say isn't common across the platforms that you're working on. Like notifications are a little bit different on every different platform, for instance. Sure. So 
at this point you so so let's let's sort of be clear about the details here. We're talking about someone building a Xamarin application and they're using portable class libraries to share code across platforms. But of course, once you get to the detail, like you say, like notifications that behaves differently on different platforms, at that point you have to have an abstraction in your common code that allows you to inject something at runtime to fulfill that platform-specific behavior that you can't possibly have in your PCL or in your common code. And so typically how that works is people use dependency injection through an IOC container to to configure the application to run in, in that particular form. So you'd configure your application to run with your iOS adapters or with your, with your Android adapters. It's also worth saying that, you know, so the argument about hexagonal architecture is, well, why a hexagon? It could, it could be anything, right? It could be a circle. It could be a triangle. It could be a piece of cheese. And that's true. And, and there, are, there are many variations. So onion architecture, um, I think Uncle Bob did something called the clean architecture. And, you know, the, the point is that uh, it's about where the dependencies sit, basically. That your dependencies point inwards. You have a you have a core application at the center, and uh, and you basically um, your outer outer part of the application is your is what Uncle Bob would call the details. Your databases, <laughs> the things that you don't want to worry about day to day when you're writing your business rules and your business logic. And it seems like I mean, it's pretty easy to, at least for me, to conceptually like visualize the the way that this this works and looks when you're talking about the kind of that shared core of any particular app, right? So you have that that portable class library in, in the case of Xamarin apps with its set of ports and then adapters for those specific things. But like, what happens when you you continue and to, to use terms in the you know the other way of the 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 more tiered way of thinking, like what happens when you get up the stack into the the sort of view layer? Like, is is that still in scope for this sort of architecture and way of thinking, or is that um, not really what this is trying to achieve? So, yeah, I mean, I think the view layer, personally for me, the view is just another port. Sorry, the view is just another adapter on top of an existing port. And, and in that case, so say you're using something like MVVM, that's just another communication mechanism. It doesn't have it doesn't happen to be an interface that you are um, providing an impl- implementation of. In this case, the communication mechanism in this case is I notify property change and data binding, but it's still so so view models and data binding and I notify property change. They they provide a they provide a port which you can choose to build a user interface on top of, or you could choose to have a test driver like NUnit exercise those same uh, same entry points into the code. 
the the point of the the point of this kind of architecture is that the inner the inner core application doesn't know how it's been configured. So in the case of like MVVM pattern, do you have some sort of like abstraction layer <clears throat> on top of which MVVM framework you're using or or how does that look? So uh basically so uh, I mean in day to day I use MVVM cross for example, obviously you know building something else you you could use it you could use anything really but um it's it's just a typical implementation of MVVM cross. Uh, so we have view models, and I would consider those to be part of the core application. So whatever whatever configuration I'm putting together, that that is part of my core application. So like I say, for example, if I'm building uh, an integration test version of the application, I will call through the view models. If I'm building a real application, I will just use the typical binding mechanisms to to make those two things talk to each other. So then I would love to, to at least for my own edification, like dig a little bit more into um, like some of this seems like it's it's largely a, a, a semantic thing rather than um, rather than like a true like new way to architect your app. Um, yeah. Like so like if you're approaching building an application and let's say you're using MVVM cross or any MVVM framework. So you're kind of buying into to like all of those things that are becoming pretty standard. Um, yeah. You know, using any any of the plethora of MVVM frameworks that are out there, like how does approaching it with this sort of mindset, um, like impact the way that you start writing your software in in the mobile yeah. app world? And like, what sort of benefits are you getting from like not trying to think of it as a, a tiered infrastructure from the start? Sure. So, um, in the so in the blog itself, I um, I was deliberately vague about. Where'd you go next from here? And there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, because it's almost like sort of single responsibility principle for, for blog posts, right? You, <laughs> you talk about too many things and and you, you, you make a mess. Um, but also because I think the, the range of things that, where, where do you take this next depends hugely on, on your situation and um, and your project size and your approach. So let's say, for example, you're you're on your own. You know, you're you're a single developer. You're you're working on your own. You don't anticipate working with other people. You know, what what's the point of what what benefit is there in architecture in those cases? Well, well, you know, you don't need to communicate with anybody else, but at least you you have a good understanding of what you've set out to achieve, and uh, and you can get the benefit from having read about it having been done before and and more than that you know there's not a huge amount there but as you start to work in a larger team and work with other people and you need to communicate that architecture i think really the way you name things is important and this kind of thinking about these things you plug in as individual adapters perhaps sort of breaks down the problem of having to abstract an entire layer of your application and lets you think think of things in smaller smaller details. 
so I, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the term uh, leaky abstraction, right? Oh, yeah. so, so, you know, it's, you think of all these applications that have been built over the years that put a facade over a database in the anticipation that one day they might need to re change that database to use some other, some other kind of um, kind of technology. And, and for those that did, they probably found that actually that abstraction didn't really help. Right. <laughs> that they, and I have, you know, I've encountered projects myself that have tried to rewrite a presentation layer, for example, and, they found they'd actually got the abstraction wrong and what they thought they were abstracting. There were a lot of details in that abstraction themselves, which actually gave away information about the thing they were actually trying to hide all along. <laughs> and so I think having, being able to think about these, these adapters on a, on a smaller bit, on a smaller basis just perhaps frees you from a little bit of the um, of the having to abstract a whole layer at a time pain. So I mean, it sounds a lot to me like, like it's very like functional in nature, right? Like this has a lot of ties and at least the way I'm thinking of it now uh, to functional programming, you have little blocks of code that do like one small thing um, and they do it very well and in a very testable, isolated manner that you can kind of compose in, in any number of ways to, to make up the application at large. Is, is that sort of like the same underlying principle here? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So I, I suspect, you know, if you imagine you're pulling layers together, you've, you could be thinking of, you know, four components to, to plug in maybe. Whereas with this, with this architecture in mind, there are, there are many more. And, and this is actually the irony of using a hexagon because, of course, when it was first proposed, I don't think he had m many more than four or six adapters in mind. But actually, of course, in a, in a fully-fledged Xamarin application, you know, you, you have far more than that, um, especially in this way of thinking where each of those is actually quite small and, and well-contained. I'd like to point out that Xamarin's logo is a hexagon, the Xamagon. Yes, so really, <laughs> you didn't... should never have any more than you know that many sides to your, app, your Xamarin application. Obviously, that, yes, I, I yeah, I did realize that soon after writing the post. Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying, this is really a, a Xamagonal app architecture conversation, <laughs> yeah, and not... exactly. All right, so so end of conversation. Clearly, Xamarin invented the whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> I think we're done here. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Um. And there was one other little thing that you mentioned in passing there that, that I think is kind of important to touch on. And that's, uh, you mentioned how that, how the way of thinking, um, the way, the way you think about the architecture of the software you're, you're creating and, and designing bleeds into the way that you start naming things and structuring things. And then that lends itself to the types of conversations you have, sure. um, with, with your team at large and, and as you're adding things to the, the platform and, and, and what have you. So like as you you've built applications with this sort of architecture in mind like do you are you explicitly naming things with you know names like ports and adapters and these sort of terms that are specific to this this kind of way of thinking um i have uh it's one of these things that you're always experimenting with <laughs> i certainly um have gone down that road of naming naming as ports and adapters 
I'm not sure that. Again, it depends on the, the culture of, of your team and the people you're working with and what their what their experiences and their mindset. And I think so. I do draw uh, hexagonal architecture diagrams, and and we do look at those as a team. And I I think it's more the um, the concept, like you say, of of having those individual small items. And and understanding that that is that is what we we're building as a team. So I, I realize I'm on, I'm on the fence here, right? But um, <laughs> well, naming is hard. So <laughs> naming is hard. I, I think yes, I I do double in that um, ports and adapters naming, but I I I, I get it. it. It might not be for everybody. And and I suppose. The reason I'm on the fence here is because this is very much a conceptual thing. It's a, a thing that will differ depending on on people and experience and and how people use architecture in their own projects. Um, so I, I think definitely be open to using those names if it works for you, I would say. Hey, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Raygun is an essential tool for every developer, helping you detect and diagnose your errors in real time so your team can fix bugs faster. Just a few lines of code is all it takes to get started, and you'll be amazed how quickly you start receiving reports from all of your apps. Why wait for frustrated users to notify you when they hit a bug, and then spend your time digging through log files? Raygun notifies you immediately and with all the information you need. Raygun keeps everyone informed, so whether you have 1 or 100 developers, you'll get everything you need to become an awesome development team. Start your free trial today at raygun.io and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Sort of related to naming, but ju- just around this this kind of conceptually in general, um, have you found that this is easy to, as, as you're taking this to, say, your team and trying to talk about um, you know, architecting whatever project you're working on with this sort of way of thinking, have you found that it it generally lands pretty well and it helps people kind of understand things? Or has there been a bit of a learning curve? Or like like what kind of reaction have you seen to to this sort of architecture? I think it does fit pretty well simply because it's a case of looking at what you've built and thinking, actually, yes, <laughs> although although we didn't know we were building this thing. We followed a pattern, and that was the pattern we followed. And we didn't realize it at the time, but but yeah, that describes what we did and what we've got. So, and I think the reaction to the blog was was similar to that, right? The people people seem to have felt that this is describing what I've been doing in a slightly different way. And and then the question is, okay, what do I do about it? <laughs> and like I say, that's that, that's quite an open question. I mean. One of the things that hexagonal architecture often sort of leads into is domain-driven design, because of the the focus on that that domain being the core, and um, and of course, if if you go down that route of having different bounded contexts, then you can imagine a map of hexagons basically, and these these adapters are the way that these each of these hexagons communicate with each other. So. So you can take this thing as far as you want, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, I mean, that kind of gets into to another area that I, I was curious about, like whether whether this is something that you've kind of used more in, say, the cross-platform mobile world, or if this is a, a pattern that you've kind of taken at, at large to other types of platforms where you're, you might not necessarily be as worried about cross-platform adapters and ports and what have you, but you still want that, you know, that functional type nature or the testability or any of the other benefits that you might get here. Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's an interesting point. One that I've not really thought too much about, but now, as you say it, I realized that, um, that's the way I've built windows phones app phone apps in the past, really. And it's another case of perhaps not realizing what you were building at the time. <laughs> um, yeah. Being able to, to plug all that, that together. And I mean, it all comes from the, uh, you know, the, uh, original uncle Bob principle of, uh, the um, uh, dependency uh, inversion principle. Sorry, um, of course that um, everything should depend. You know, everything should depend on abstractions, right? So you you know, if you're trying to put put an application together, and and the people who typically first come across this um, while they learning to unit test, of course, because they they're trying to unit test a class. It has a concrete dependency. They realize they can't do anything to take that dependency out of the testable code, so they have to rely on an abstraction. And uh, and, and the more you sort of um, realize the benefit of that, you start to build applications that are very pluggable in this way. You can you can bring the the elements together. Um, and yet have everything depending on abstractions. So you've used this quite a bit then, I'm guessing, in mixed radio. Is there any real major downside that you've seen using this architectural approach or any any little gotchas here and there that you've run across? Downside, I guess, you know, new people, uh, perhaps junior developers looking at the code base for the first time who perhaps haven't seen code put together in that way before get can get a little bit freaked out by you know why is everything an interface and why why do i have to you know if i want to see what uses this class why do i have to find the interface and then find out where how that's injected and so i guess there's a little barrier to entry there perhaps um is there anything that you point new developers that you onboard at to help them figure this out a little bit more quickly? I guess like any, any um, blogs or no. I, I I guess that um, for I mean obviously the architectural side you point developers at and, and dependency inversion principle that kind of stuff. But really, I I, I tend to find it's just um, <laughs> a fear of interfaces um, <laughs> and and getting down to that level of um, relearning this whole unit test thing, right? So what, why are we doing this? Um, and if you could just take a simple couple of classes and, and, and try and try and build some code without, without the interfaces, you know, let people hit those problems themselves and learn actually the benefit. Yeah, there is a benefit to this. We're not just, we're not just doing this to, to try and, try and look smart. 
Yeah, well, that's what some architecture conversations end up feeling like sometimes. Um, but but that's also why why this one sort of caught my eye when it when I crossed paths with it. Where after reading it, it, it was uh, like as we've been talking about, it felt like one of those more like a of a realization kind of pattern of like, oh, this is actually what we're taught to do a lot with you know interfaces and abstractions yeah. and. I mean, you mentioned MVVM cross like plugins in that sort of world where you you inject platform specific things, except it seems to take it in a, you know, maybe like a much more focused kind of direction of these like maybe smaller composable chunks instead of a giant abstraction layer for, as you said, the database or something like that, like these just smaller things that you can compose. And um, like I said, in my head, what I'm, I'm kind of thinking of in in functional language type terms which is kind of like the the big goal of functional programming yeah yeah oh, it's, no, it's, it's good to hear you uh you read you know you read the post in that way because that was that was the intention um so it's good that that got across yeah and you mentioned that you know you had you had kept some stuff out of of post number one which which makes me assume that there's going to be post numbers at least two um, like, I, what are there? Do you have anything in mind for things that you might start exploring in, in yeah, future posts? I um, I have this vision, which I, I alluded to earlier, that of um, of hexagons talking to hexagons in a in a in a DDD kind of um, kind of world. Um, it, it I, this is one of these things where I'm going to have to write it and and see what it looks like and see if it's fit for purpose. It it may be. Uh, Maybe a step too far. We shall see. <laughs> That's cool. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, and and kind of before we cut things off, I I know that you're going to be speaking at at Evolve's conference or Xamarin's conference Evolve in in Orlando in April. Um, can right, you? Yeah. Um, what are you going to be talking about there? So there, um, I'm going to be talking with a friend and colleague of mine, Kevin West, and we're going to talk about um, our experiences with Xamarin Test Cloud. Uh, in doing test automation, and um, we've we've had some great support from Xamarin over the over the time we've we've been doing this this work, and um, they'd sort of got an idea that we were having quite a lot of success with test automation, and they've brought some guys over to see what we were doing, and it really sort of occurred to me that actually it wasn't anything that we were doing. In particular, with Xamarin Test Cloud, it was more the fact that that we had the experience in the team of having witnessed test automation problems in the past and having worked through them and seen people repeat the same mistakes again and again. I suppose, and actually, test automation on a large scale is quite a difficult problem to solve. <laughs> um, I know it's one of your uh, one of your particular favorite topics, isn't it, Greg? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I've been kind of been typecast as the testing guy, um, but <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean that's that that's definitely an area where like automated UI testing in general is is hard to scale, and when you take that into the app world, it gets even harder. Um, uh, I'm very interested to hear the the content that you guys are going to be talking about, especially given the type of app that you have. Um, I'd love to think that you're just yeah. making the the device labs over in Denmark like play a whole bunch of music all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we uh, we're pretty we're pretty sure we're doing that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you can keep them entertained over there. Yeah, so so we're just going to talk talk through um, some practical tips, really, a lot of which can apply to automation products in general. We think, and um, 
you know, things like people have unrealistic expectations of what they can achieve with test automation, perhaps. And and a lot of the a lot of the usual problems, but hopefully a slightly different spin on on the way we've tackled them. Awesome. Well, I, I hope you're not up against me because I want to go watch that. <laughs> I was going to say there's isn't a few more faces appeared on the Summer Evolve website recently, so you're you're up there, yeah. So. Great. Awesome. Come on, then, Greg. I should ask you what what you're going to what you're going to present at Evolve. Tell us tell us about that. <laughs> well, I'm going to be talking about um, like basically just monitoring, instrumenting and monitoring your apps when they're out in the wild. So kind of the next evolution of I feel like my my Evolve talks over the years have have had this like um kind of not intentional evolution of the first one was on like unit testing and then last year's was on um continuous integration so the next yeah. step of getting it out and then now it's like how do you know what the hell's happening in your app when it's actually out there so yeah. um some tools and some kind of approaches around actually understanding what's happening when real users are doing stuff sounds great yeah hoping not up against each other <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, thanks so much, Chris, for, for joining us today. This was, this is really cool. That's been great. Thanks guys. And thanks everyone for listening and we'll, we'll see you next time on Gone Mobile. <laughs>